HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Are you looking for a good book? For a gift this holiday season, or maybe just a good book, we've got one coming up, Savoring Gotham. Stay tuned. Hi, welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history, and of course, Buying a book as a gift is not the only reason to buy a book, but this being the holiday season, I figured we all need a few ideas, and a brand new book is hot off the press, and I think it would be of great interest not only to New Yorkers, but to anyone who has an interest in New York City or um, food history, for that matter. The book is Savoring Gotham, A Food Lover's Companion to New York City. It was edited by Andrew Smith and associate editor or senior editor Kathy Kaufman. And joining me today is Kathy Kaufman. Kathy is a food food and culinary historian. She is a trained chef. She's also a lawyer. She's <laughs> Well, you have to have a law degree to become a trained chef, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. The two go right. together. Right. Um, and she is, as I said, the senior editor of Savoring Gotham and also of the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America. Uh, Kathy writes for many publications, and she teaches culinary history at the New School. And uh, you're still teaching at ICE? Very little, occasionally. I do okay. a little bit of culinary right. history there. So she teaches at the culinary schools in New York, and uh, we're very excited that she's here to talk with us about Savoring Gotham. Now, it, okay, full disclosure, yes, I am a contributor to Savoring Gotham. You are, and your contribution was very, very appreciated. Okay, now, um, tell me, describe for our listeners what this book is. It says Food Lover's Companion to New York City, and some people think, oh, it's a food guide to New York, but I'm not going to New York this week. It's not really a guidebook. What it is is an encyclopedia that deals with food history, uh, restaurants, uh, some no longer extant, others that still do exist, 
uh, different ethnic groups, neighborhoods, uh, holidays, uh, all food controversies in New York. There are uh, entries on, you know, Mayor Bloomberg's ill-fated attempt to limit the soda sizes. So <laughs> what it really does is tell you quite a bit about New York food culture from the time when it was New Amsterdam or even a little bit earlier. We do have something about indigenous foodways going up through uh, the present and looking into the future. So it is as encyclopedic as it can be, but it's not dry, which is, I think, why it's not called an encyclopedia. It's really very lively. Right. And it's, it is, um, the, it's wonderful because there are so many entries. I think there's something like 570 entries. Just about, yeah. And over 174 contributors. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of different voices in this book. It's not the same thing plodding on, you know, article after article. Absolutely. And one of the nice things about the uh, range of contributors, we have scholars, many people who have written extensively about food studies, food history. We have scientists, we have journalists, we have chefs, uh, we have historians, we have a very, very broad voice that is uh, expressed in Savoring Gotham. And a lot of it really does give you a sense of how diverse Savoring Gotham and New York City food and foodways can be. Right. I'd like to say it's the A to Z. And A being A&P, that's a very first entry. Absolutely. People know that the A&P grocery store had its first store in New York City. Surprisingly, you think of it as Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. (laughs) Uh, But yes, back in the 19th century, it did start in terms of physical stores in New York City. And goes all the way to... um, Tim uh, and Nina Zagat, I think. Uh, uh, Zeppoli, I think. Oh, Zeppoli, right. I think okay. Zeppoli is the last uh, entry. I'd have to double-check that. Yes, yes, I think you're right. Yeah. But yes, you get the idea of certain foods that either are iconic to New York, like, um, well, for example, the cronut, which we all know, which was the big, big... Uh, splashy food entry of uh, a couple of years back, which started in New York, Dominique Anselm's Bakery on Spring Street. Now, of course, it's a worldwide phenomenon, but, you know, cronuts have to get an entry because they started here in New York. That's right. That's right. Um, tell me, you know, we're going to talk about some of our, the, the surprising entries that one mm-hmm. can find in this book. But before that, let's back up a little bit and talk about how this came to be. The idea for the encyclopedia was one that the editor-in-chief, Andy Smith, came up with. He's worked with Oxford University Press on a number of encyclopedias, uh, including the American Encyclopedia of Food and Drink. Uh, And he thought that New York City was lacking in having a really authoritative guide to uh, its food history, its food ways. Um, and when I say God, I use that term very loosely because it's not a restaurant guide. If you're looking for a restaurant guide, this is not the place to come. Um, but the idea was we could bring together uh, scholars. Uh, there's so many places to learn about food history academically in New York between you know, the New School, uh, NYU, uh, you know, Columbia University has a food series in terms of its publications that we really had a lot of people to go to to be able to write intelligently yet engagingly about food. So we put together a committee 
Uh, Andy was the editor-in-chief. I'd worked with Andy before on other things. We brought in a number of people that we know who have written about food in New York or written about food other places, but know enough about New York City that they would be able to contribute. Came up with a list of topics, and it was, you know, not quite 600, and then went through the process of finding people to write about these various uh, topics. Uh, And we did it very quickly, actually. Uh, We had a tremendously enthusiastic response. Uh, People were excited by the idea. It's fun to write about a city and its foodways. Uh, So we just put it together, uh, assigned the topics, and, you know, got people working on it, and there it is. Yeah, it's it's amazing because um, you say that, and we did it very quickly. Well, and you ha- some a book like this has to be put out in a relatively short time because things keep changing, you know. And and two years, I think that's what it was. It took two it, yes. years, which is for a book of this size. It, it was quick, but when you say things keep changing. Yes, they do, but we try to make it as timeless as possible by looking at things from an historical perspective. Obviously, things such as uh, different ethnic groups and where they are located in terms of food. I mean, there's a wonderful section on Dominican foodways in Upper Manhattan and the Bronx. And, you know, that's going to be changing and evolving. Uh, The different Chinatowns that you have in New York, be it Flushing, be it uh, Lower Manhattan, all of these things are constantly evolving. But there's enough of a core there that you can see what is a truth about New York City foodways and things We'll get updated. You know, we are hoping that uh, in another couple of years we'll be updating with uh, a second edition and uh, online ways of keeping things current. Uh, but we're not giving you a lot of dry statistics that would be changing. Right. Uh, that w- The idea was to make it conversational and uh, descriptive without being that sort of thing that it was going to become dated immediately. Which is why, while there are a lot of restaurants that are icons that are listed, we don't have everybody's flavor of the month restaurant. That's not what this is about. There are plenty of other publications that cover that. Excellent point, Kathy. Um, You know, and and some people may say, well, why New York? Why New York City? You know, there's a lot of history everywhere. Well, you know, when you look at the entries in this book, you think, well, go back to, you know, the 1700s, or as you said, even later, Mm -hmm. earlier, um, so much of what happens in the food world really had a germ of beginning in New York City um, for a great period of time, and, and still does, and she said, like the cronut. But it, New York City is a mover and shaker town. I mean, Absolutely. No I mean, the idea of um, New York styles diffusing through the country. I mean, the idea of nightclubs, uh, as Prohibition was coming to an end, of course, nightclubs still existed in New York during Prohibition. And we've got, you know, entries on, you know, Prohibition, nightclubs, and some of the very specific ones like the Cotton Club, which is just an absolute icon of that glamorous period of New York nightlife. Well, People outside of New York, throughout the country, you know, Midwest, what we call those great flyover states, they all wanted to have nightclubs. And once Prohibition ended, there were New York-style nightclubs that sprung up 
throughout the country. So if you look at what's happening in New York, it is in many ways a barometer for what happens other places. We are setters of style, we like to think. I mean, it's, you know, New Yorkers are a little arrogant about that, but I don't think it's incorrect. We do set styles that are seen nationwide. Doesn't mean there are other places that are not doing it, you know. Chicago pizza versus New York pizza. That's right. (laughs) And I should say there will be a Chicago encyclopedia coming out uh, in another year or so. And then we're going to have a smackdown over who has the best pizza. We're we're already (laughs) planning that. that. I'm sure. Everything from um, that people might not. I mean, it could be a. There could be a game based on the book, a did you know, you know, did you know book. Trivial Pursuits (laughs) New York Food. Yeah, absolutely. Weight Watchers. That was, now that, see, that surprised me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Of course, the three martini lunch. Well, you know, that was... (laughs) That was when martinis were a little bit smaller than they are now. I I, I think that's one of the things we always think about people getting absolutely toasted at lunch. And I'm sure they were feeling no pain, but I cannot imagine drinking three martinis the way they are poured now at most of our uh, fancy uh, cocktail haunts. Well, we're going to explore a few of these did-you-know topics when we come back after a short break. And this is the train song by California Honey Drops. We'll be right back. since I was little, my grandma lives in Florida, and every time I call her, she's always like, I know it's you because I can hear the smile in your voice. Growing up, when my grandpa was still alive, he loved to fish. So we had this saying, grandpa catches the fish and grandma cooks the fish. (laughs) So she always used to make the best grouper around. My sister and I would always be like her little helpers in the kitchen during that process. So, And sometimes we'd go fishing with my grandpa. I actually love the seafood counter ever since this store opened. There's always been like something special about it, like seeing the full fish and like seeing them cut everything and fillet everything by hand. And I'm a big fish eater, so it just has a special place for me. My name is Jennifer Heal, and I'm the social media and digital marketing specialist for the Northeast region of Whole Foods Market. This has been a message from our proud partner, Whole Foods Brooklyn. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Okay, we are back on A Taste of the Past. We're talking about a brand new book, I mean hot off the press, uh, Savoring Gotham, A Food Lover's Companion to New York City. And I'm talking with Kathy Kaufman, who is a senior editor of this book. And Kathy, just to give people an idea of how... How many topics and the range of topics, I mean, I can just glance down at the sections there, beverages, biographies, businesses, education, 
in the culinary arts, ethnicities you talked about, you know, the different ethnicities and immigration, um, food controversies, food policies, food servicing, oh, independent food. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Museums, media and publishing. Oh, magazines. Ma- I mean, how many food magazines you know, had their birth or and it's still some still exist in New York City? Yes, some do, some don't. So this <laughs> is, yeah, it's a very nice uh, way right. of bringing focus to some of these places that uh, are no longer with us. Holidays and celebrations. Here we are just about on the eve of Thanksgiving and of course the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is something that again influences people nationwide. And then there is a topic I mean there are a group of topics quite a few of them on you know called special topics because they don't fit any other particular mold. One of those might be dumpster diving. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we, we have that. We have um, things like fusion food. We know that fusion food has been around for the past 20 years or so, but how does it play out in New York with all the different ethnicities, the oat cuisine versus the low cuisine? Uh, it's a great laboratory for exploring fusion food. That's right. Uh, now, prison food would be was one that <laughs> took me a little bit by surprise. However, there's quite a lot of history on on prison food and and what where it's gone, where it's, what's been happening, how it's evolved. as as long as you have responsibility for feeding prisoners, and you know we've got Rikers Island that is you know constantly taking a new influx of prisoners, and you've got to find a way of feeding them. I mean, prison riots often start in the dining room over food. It's not something that uh, you can underestimate its importance in keeping prisoners reasonably happy. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, a couple of food items that might mm-hmm. take people by surprise that had their birth in New York City. The one that got me were chiclets. I would, I would not have, I wouldn't even have thought of that necessarily. Do we even consider chiclets to be food? I mean, that's, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that, that's another question. Um, but there have been so many different industries that you don't think of. There's a um, wonderful, wonderful phrase that was uh, coined by a food scholar, uh, Joy Santlefer, called asphalt terroir. And when you think about the number of businesses that were in New York City that are food-related, we find it hard to imagine. But, you know, the recently uh, lamented Domino Sugar Factory in oh, Brooklyn. Yeah. I right. mean, that's uh, one of them. Uh, think about other things that are food-related, like bread lines. The first bread line was found on Broadway where Grace Church now stands at 10th Street. And it was Fleischmann's Bakery giving it it's uh, leftover bread to uh, the poor who were lining up in the 1880s and 1890s. So there mm. are so many different foodstuffs that have specific uh, specific uh, affinity for New York. There is something that it was one. In fact, one of the entries that um, I think you wrote on um, a rather unusual uh, for its day. A food gathering place, and it was a pleasure garden in oh, the 1830s. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the pleasure gardens, the beer halls, that sort of thing. Uh, Niblo's Garden was an entry that I wrote. 
Uh, Niblo's Garden was on Broadway at Prince Street, and it took the full block. Uh, there was a small theater. There were beautifully landscaped gardens and walkways, and you could go and get an ice cream or something to drink. Uh, at one point, you could get a full meal there. Uh, there were caged songbirds, and the press at the time describing the opening of Niblo's Garden just thought it was the most glorious, lovely, lovely spot to spend an afternoon or evening in. And, and we're talking about the eight, like maybe the, the mid-1830s. Uh, yes, I mean, oh. Niblo's Garden, if I recall it, I think it's 1827 when it opens, mm. and it continues through the mid-1830s, and then it is ultimately developed into a theater, and you have some of your first true Broadway shows were on Broadway at Prince Street. <laughs> and what people have to understand at that time, too, there really were, this was perhaps the only establishment where a couple could go and in public right, together. You, you could go. You could go strolling. There were some relatively more secluded nooks in the garden, so you could have not certainly complete privacy, but you could have a little romantic uh, moment uh, with your intended. And it was a place that, yeah, I would love to imagine what it was like. I would love to be able to go back and uh, actually experience what strolling through Niblo's Garden or some of the other pleasure gardens would have been like. You know, Vauxhall is another one that was in the neighborhood. All right. The book is, is, neither of us have had a chance, because it's so new and we just got our copies, neither of us have, have had a chance to look through and see every single entry. I mean, I know you're familiar with many of them as being one of the editors, but um, you just opened it up. It is organized in an A to Z method. Absolutely. Absolutely makes it easy to uh, negotiate. You don't have to worry about what topic something shows up under. You just go alphabetically like a true encyclopedia. All right. And you just open it to any page and you're, you would be amazed at, at um, the entries I'm going to open up to uh, I or Irving, Washington Irving. Oh, Washington Irving is fabulous because he does so much writing. Um, Washington Irving is in some ways responsible for the idea of St. Nicholas and the Knickerbocker influence on Christmas. Uh, he comes up with uh, his uh, histories of New York, which are a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but they're also designed to emphasize the Dutch contribution, because at this point, when Washington Irving is writing in the early 19th century, uh, it's a very you know, Anglophone sort of place. The English are in control uh, culturally, and he uh, makes it his point to bring back some of the romance of the early Dutch settlement. <laughs> And we actually get St. Nicholas and Santa Claus in part through Washington Irving's contributions. Right. And then I opened up to a page on pizza, many entries on pizza. And I have one in there, too, from one of my guests that had been here on the show. Mm -hmm. And and that was Robert Seitzeman. And and my entry was on pizzerias, which was sort of a, a myth buster for people thinking, oh, and it's this Italian... You know, yeah. pizza and now, folks, New York City—the the pizza it, as we know it, right? Pizza as we know it is definitely New York City. I mean, when you think about pizza in Italy in the 19th century, it's a street food. Yeah. It's true. and only only in the South, only in Naples. Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of thing. Even as recently as World War II, when American soldiers were in Italy, they'd come up through the South. They were in Naples. They had this great pizza, and then they made it to Rome and asked for pizza, and the Romans looked at them 
and like they had three hits. You know, what are you possibly talking about? You know, food was so regional in Italy. And then you get to uh, New York and you've got to think about the immigrant groups that were coming in from Italy. The Southern Italians, the Neapolitans, the Sicilians, uh, the Cantabrians, they're all in that area of Little Italy that we think of that was, you know, kind of Houston Street and to the east. The Italians who were coming in from other areas further north were in the West Village. And, you know, the foods, at least during the 19th century in the great age of migration, when people are coming in, would have been very different depending upon whether you were in the southern Italian neighborhoods or the northern Italian neighborhoods. Right, right. It it could have, this book easily could have been titled A Culinary Historian Reader. Absolutely. Uh, or culinary history reader. Um, but it is not. It is called Savoring Gotham, and we like that title, too. We do like that title. But I, I don't want people to think that it's only for for your New York visit or for people who live in New York, because you truly learn so much about culinary history, food history, um, who, you know, stuff, who brought certain things to being and and where it all started. And then they're just the kind of fun entries where you get little iconic foods like the black and white cookie there you go you know i mean that's that's just fun and where else are you going to find about the history of the black and white cookie it's that sort of thing that you see everywhere in those gargantuan sizes and wonder how did that develop (laughs) well even heritage radio network has an entry in in there and and well as well it should because right we are all about food and talk about food and um thank you for joining me and and talking about this terrific book and I hope listeners will take a look at it, uh, at least online, and, and then decide to pull the trigger and buy this book. makes for fun reading. It is fun reading, and importantly, it was fun to put together, too. Oh, great. I'm sure it was. Thank you so much. And listeners, again, it's Savoring Gotham by Oxford University Press. And thank you for listening to A Taste of the Past. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.